0: Good morning, First Baptist Church of Tupelo, Mississippi. I am excited to say that this is my first time to be in the great state of Mississippi, and it has not disappointed. I've had several gallons of sweet tea. Uh, I had a pile of fried catfish that blessed my soul last night. And i got to tell you, Southern hospitality is alive and well. And I mean that, I've told several of your staff members and some of the people in the conference this weekend. Uh, I'm from Texas, I'm from the Dallas area. I ministered in East Texas for quite a while as a youth pastor. And then God called me, my wife, and my two little girls, one of which is with me this morning, Ava, um, to go to Denver, Colorado to work in family ministry full time. And there are so many things I love about Colorado. I really do love where God has called us to. But I miss sweet tea, catfish, and Southern hospitality all that to say even from the moment we flew into the airport uh, we, we have just been greeted with such kindness, and I just want to thank you this Christian community my brothers and sisters in Tupelo Thank you for your kindness and being so welcoming to my daughter and I uh, It's just been a blessing of a weekend. Let me say a brief word about the Impress Family Conference I um, am humbled by those that came and the attention that they gave to me the, it was an honor for me to be there and for our organization to uh, be represented in that way. I just want to give a plug for next year for your church. When you start seeing advertisements for the Impress Family Conference, sign up. Regardless of what stage of life you're in, regardless if you're a single adult, there's going to be something for you there I promise because I know the staff and I know how to plan things and I know that they're very intentional with it. So I just wanted to extend that that uh, hand of, man, thank you so much for being so hospitable to my family. I'm so blessed and honored for Pastor Matt to give me this opportunity. I'm glad that your dogs made it out okay, okay? <laughs> I love dogs, and I know that feeling as a dad. We're going to primarily be in two passages today. We're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you want to turn there. but well, we're looking today at the greatest good for your home, or the greatest good for our homes. And while you're turning there, I wanted to share with you a quick few stories i had the blessing of being raised in a christian home and brother randy i don't know where you are but that those songs this morning weren't they so good so intentional so well chosen so biblical and i'm going to get a list of those ones that i've not heard before because i'm going to sing them in my house um i was raised in a christian home my two biggest influences i would say as a child in the faith were my granny and granddad My granddad was a doctor, a medical doctor. He used his medical practice to minister to every single patient he saw for over 50 years in Wiley, Texas. My my granny, she was a nurse by trade. Uh, She had six kids, my dad being one of them. And I remember from an early age seeing their faith on display, I'm gonna say a little bit more about them here in a little bit. My mother and my father, I'm very, very thankful for my mother and my father, two people that love the Lord. They gave me some of the earliest examples of the grace of jesus that i can remember in fact my mother was the first person to share the gospel with me at my bedside as she tucked me in one night she was the first person that shared with me that jesus died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again paying the price for what i actually deserved and that he loved me so much he wanted me to be in a relationship with him i remember my mom telling me that at a very young age with my little ninja turtle sheets right i remember that I remember that. Man, I kind of wish I still had those sheets, to be honest with you. My family is full of stories, but I wanted to tell you a couple of them. I wanted to tell you just just a few of what happened. I remember sitting in a pew much like this in Wiley, Texas, in the early 90s, and the the adults in the room kept saying a phrase that I, I didn't know what it meant, but they kept saying, Maranatha, Lord come quickly. Maranatha, Lord come quickly. And I remember my dad, who didn't make a lot of noise in the service, or didn't do a lot of big gestures in the service or anything, but I remember him sitting next to me, and I remember looking up at him, and he was weeping. He was weeping, and I asked him later, I said, Dad, you know, I didn't understand as a kid, I didn't want God, Jesus to come yet because I wanted to be able to drive a car and have a girlfriend, and I to say, I wasn't a believer at the time, and I thought, why, why do people keep saying that? And God, Dad, why are you crying? And he was crying because he could not wait to see Jesus face to face. He was so excited about the moment, and, and when, when I got to see my dad say, wow, I can't wait to see Jesus face-to-face. That stuck with me as an unsaved child. Uh, move, move forward years, years and years later, I think I was probably in about the 5th or 6th grade, we used to go to my granny's house every Sunday afternoon for Sunday lunch. And I wish we could go back and do that again. I, I took it for granted when I was a child. But we went back, and I remember we went to different churches. There was a big family, right? So we, several of us went to different churches. They went to the local First Baptist Church. We went to Shiloh Baptist Church down the street. And my granny came in a little bit after us, and there were cousins running around everywhere. Me and my Uncle Leon were sitting at the table, and granny walked in like she walked in on a cloud. I mean, she was feeling great that morning. She could, you could tell. I mean, she was in a great mood. She was happy to be there. She was always a happy person, but this was different. And my Uncle Leon said, Granny, or she, he actually called her Mama, Mama, you you look different today. Why do you look so, you just look like you're in a great mood and she said well Brother Draper which was the pastor of First Baptist Church there for years and years she said Brother Draper talked about heaven today I I just can't wait to see Jesus and as a child it's hard for me to even bring it up but as a child I remember thinking my dad said that at one point he he loves Jesus I saw it in his life then I saw my granny beaming you know what I mean you've seen people beaming just about Jesus and how much she loved him and for me As a a fifth or sixth grader, when I saw that, I thought, man, she really believes this. She really loves Jesus. Why would you want to go to heaven? I mean, like, in my mind, there's so many things you can do here, but they were in love with Jesus. I remember my granddad embarrassed me really bad one time. Uh, This man was an evangelist. So he was about six foot four, I think, and, you know, he always had laminated little pamphlets in his pocket. Laminated, okay? In his pocket. He had two of them at all times. Number one, was a pamphlet about salvation. Do you know the Lord? Have you met Jesus? You know, that was one. The second one was about marriage. He had a passion for helping marriages thrive. So he had two packets all the time. Well, he asked me to drive him as a 15-year-old. That might not have been good. As a 15-year-old in his big boat, Lincoln Town Car, to the local KFC to get a bucket of fried chicken. We're at the desk at at the fried chicken restaurant. I had a friend of mine across the counter that I had known for years. And my granddad... He was pretty old at this point, pulled out a pamphlet, and I saw it happening, and I knew what was going on, and my heart just froze. I was like, oh, no, it's happening right now. And he shared his faith with the person on the other side of the counter, asked him if he knew where he would spend his eternity. Now, at the time, as a 15-year-old or whatever, I was mortified. Oh, my goodness, Granddad. Why would you do that to me? And then he asked if the guy had a healthy marriage. And I was like, he's 15, Granddad. He's not, he's not married yet. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you went into Walmart... KFC, supermarket, hotel, airport, it it didn't matter. Granddad was going to share his faith, did not care what you thought this way or that. He knew that there were lost people that needed to be saved. And I watched that. And even though I was embarrassed at the time, my goodness, I'm getting somewhere with this, friends. Um, Flash forward to my granny's funeral in 2004. So many people showed up to First Baptist Church of Wiley, Texas. It was really inspirational for me as a child to see this so many people showed up testimony after testimony and then my uncle ted my dad's younger brother got up on stage my dad couldn't say a word because he was too emotional but my uncle ted who was a godly medical doctor got up and he said with his deep booming round voice he said isn't it wonderful to know where my mother is and i remember well, i wasn't a christian at the time i thought i was but i wasn't I remember just bursting into tears. I had so many questions about Christianity, and I was a mess. I remember it seared into my brain the picture of my Uncle Ted on the stage. He had just lost his mother, and he said, Isn't it wonderful to know where my mother is? Flash forward a little bit further. I was having a really hard time. This was about a year before I became a Christian. I was in college, and I had so many questions, and I finally let them all out to my dad one night in his den in Lutland, Colorado. I have got so many questions, we were talking about it, and he said, Frank, he said, I- I'm praying for you, you've got a lot of people praying for you, but I believe that God's going to use you in mighty ways. Isn't it interesting how we remember those little phrases like that from Sunday school teachers, from relatives, from people in your life that are spiritual authorities in your life that you trust and that you look up to and that you, that you, you, you really take stock in their words. Um, not too long after that, during this difficult time that I was walking through, I didn't know that God was about to change my life, but my Uncle Paul and my Aunt Carrie put their hands on me one night and prayed for me. Both of they, they were scared for me. I was going down a road of rebellion. I was going down a road that did not trust or love the Lord and they were scared for me. They put their hands on my shoulders in my Aunt Carrie's basement and prayed for me. They cried out to the Lord on my behalf. I got saved about a year later. Praise the Lord just for his faithfulness and his mercy. I want you to flash forward to my grandfather's funeral in Wiley, Texas. Um, he didn't live there anymore in the, in the last few years of his life, but his funeral was in a church that he helped start. And it was a really wonderful service. It was great. But then at the graveside, none of us had any words. And there were, there were his children that were there. It was just a close, small group of family at the graveside. And my Uncle Ted, the same one that spoke at his mother's funeral spoke up, actually didn't speak up, he sang up, he had a beautiful singing voice, lifted his arms to heaven in the heat of a a Texas summer and sang a song that one of his clients, one of his patients had taught him about the wedding feast of the Lamb. I I was already a Christian at this time but these images are seared into my brain. I hope the Lord always protects those memories. And why am I saying that today? That the title of the message today is The Greatest Good for your home. And you might be hearing those stories and you might think, I don't have any stories like that, Frank. I don't, I don't have any. I'm the first generation Christian. I want to ask you to be willing to lean into this conversation today to think, God could start that with you. God could start that with you. You say, well, I don't have a family to speak of at all. and I, I'm a single adult. I'm a, this and that. There's a church family right here that needs you. There's a spiritual legacy, a spiritual family tree in your Biological family if God's given you one and in your church family God has a purpose in you being here and you hearing this message and that might be a new spiritual family tree that you never could have imagined happening Are you with me today? Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to start. Here's the first point of today. The Impress Conference folks are going to This is going to be a review for them a little bit sometimes First point of today and it's in your bulletins Parents God is calling you to be the primary disciple makers of your kids in partnership with First Baptist Church of Tupelo. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to begin with 7 through 9. Here's what Moses says You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates if you go back and you circle every time it says them comes up several times Moses is referring to the, the law of God the teaching of God who is God What are we supposed to do with that information, right? Everything about the law of God. He just got through talking about the Ten Commandments, retelling the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. The entire book of Deuteronomy is focused on the retelling of the law before the people of God go into the land of Canaan, and Moses and Aaron find it appropriate to instruct the parents in the midst, the heads of households, primarily culturally contacting dads when present, but heads of household, moms and dads, family of God, teach these words to your children, to your children. When you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you're walking along the road, when you're sitting in your house, even the very structure of your home and where you live, everything is meant to be an opportunity to teach the coming generation about who God is, what he's done, and what we're supposed to do with that information, what we're supposed to do with that information. If you'll turn with me really quick to Psalm 78, which is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Psalm 78. This is written by Asaph, and it was meant to be sung among the people of God in David's court. This is such a beautiful passage. If you read Psalm 78, at least one through eight later, man, it's such a great passage. I'd love to spend more time on it. But for the sake of this morning, Asaph is describing this ancient, wonderful message of the reality of God and how his generation has received it. And they will not stop that transmission of truth to the next generation. Let's look at verse 4. We, the current generation, will not hide them from their children. Truths of who God is. The sayings from of old, he says. The truth of who God is, what he's done, and what we're supposed to do with it. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Just a simple reminder... That God has called not just the church, but even homes themselves, even parents themselves, to be conduits of the message of the gospel from one generation to the next. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It was already so appropriately sung and read earlier today in the the worship session. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and I know all of us as parents are hoping that we can read... uh, At least three and four, because we need the kids to hear that, right? And it's absolutely true. But in verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. One of the things that we learned at the Impress Family Conference, one of the things that we, including myself, learned at the Impress Family Conference, that I want to leave with you this morning as well, it's one of the greatest things that I can leave with you. I hope it ruins you in the best of ways. Parents, grandparents, God has called you to be the primary disciple-maker of your kids, not the only disciple-maker of your kids. God has called you to be the primary disciple-maker. Look at yourself as the first line of defense. Here's a phrase that we learned at the Impress Family Conference, and it's not in your notes, but it's really helped me over the last few years. Disciple your children as if no one else will, knowing that you're not designed to do it alone. Disciple your children as if no one else will, knowing that you're not designed to do it alone. So often we wait as parents for somebody else to come along and as grandparents for someone else to come along to teach about who Jesus is and what that matters to someone's life. We wait for someone else to come along to teach that. What about a wonderful children's minister, which you have? What about wonderful youth staff, which you have? Your staff is incredible, but God never designed them to do it on their own. God never designed you to do it on your own one of the best ways that I can leave you today is with a great privilege placed on your shoulders by God himself mom and dad you're it you say well I don't know enough about the Bible well I was saved yesterday well I didn't go to seminary one of my favorite authors his name is Timothy Paul Jones he says God doesn't call the professional he calls the amateur us to disciple our kids there's so much more we could say about that but we have to begin there remember The title of the message today is The Greatest Good for Your Home, and where we have to start is mom and dad, grandma, grandpa. Are you willing to accept that God has a very specific plan for you and your kids, you and your grandkids? You can make a difference only because of the power of God. But here's the second point for today. You ready? The call to follow Jesus is a call to love him above all else. The call to follow Jesus is a call to love him above all else. And you might say, well, Brother Frank, I I thought we were talking about the home today. And we, we certainly are. But we're talking about the greatest good for our homes. So let's go back to Deuteronomy 6. This time, let's start in verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5, at least, it's called the Shema. And it comes from that Hebrew word for listen. And it's one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. Many people to this day recite, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, every morning and every evening. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today are to be on your heart. In the Impress Family Conference, we talked about how we need to know who God is intellectually we have to have good theology thank goodness that you have the shepherds that you have in this church that feed you week in and week out they care about God's Word it's evident in this congregation we have got to know who God is but we also have to know who God is before we can effectively disciple our children and the children of FBC Tupelo now, I know that's obvious but and I'm not gonna ask you to nod your head or raise your hand I'm not gonna embarrass a single person in this room But have you ever been serving in a church or at a VBS or at a Christian camp or doing anything like that or even trying to teach your kids or minister alongside your spouse and you feel like you're pouring out of an empty vessel? Have you ever been there like I have? When you're doing the work of ministry but you're not allowing the Lord to fill you back up? One pastor that I saw, he had a really handy uh, physical explanation of what that can look like in the life of pastors. He says, most of the time pastors take this And they give it out. But not too many pastors will take this and then give it out. You see the difference? It's so common in ministry. So common because pastors and ministry workers like me spend so much time in the Word. Well, what about you? Maybe you've been in church for decades and decades. And you've been serving, serving, serving. And you do love the Lord. And yet you feel distant from Him. You haven't read the Bible for yourself in a long time. You haven't had your affections stirred for Christ in a long time here's the question do we love the lord our god with all our heart soul mind and strength are these words on our hearts and the question that we're going to ask next is do we know him at all let's turn now to the, to the book of luke chapter 14 book of luke chapter 14 And man this is do you, do you love it when you're reading the Gospels and all of a sudden you come upon Jesus and the assumption of Jesus is that he's meek and mild Jesus. He's normally painted uh, with maybe a, a little tiny little sheep next to him and kids and everybody's happy and his, everything's very glossy and he's got very, very conditioned hair. You know what I mean? Like it's, he's, he's just looking good, right? Um, but then when he says something very strong, which he does all the time, I like what we're going to see in Luke chapter 14. We're going to start... In verse 25. In your Bible, it might be like mine over the top of it. It says, The cost of discipleship. Now, great crowds accompanied him, him being Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his own father, and his mother, and his wife, and children, and brothers and sisters, yet, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot. And if not, while the other is yet a great way away off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Cannot, cannot, cannot. If I don't what, Jesus? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters... If anyone does not bear his own cross and come after me, he can't follow me. If, if you do not renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. A few things to notice here. A great crowd is the context. A great crowd has gathered around him. Thousands of people have heard about Jesus. They've heard that he's a healer. they heard that miracles happen with this man. Many, many are coming to him. Very few are actually following him. So to this large group of people, he says, hey... If you want to follow me, think about it for a moment. Literally count the cost of being my disciple. You know, I'm reminded of our Christian brothers and sisters in different parts of the world where when they make a profession of faith, and most especially when they get baptized, many of their homes will disown them, or worse. Many of our friends in uh, in Southeast Asia and in Africa and different parts of the Middle East the minute that they become a Christian and make it public and they have that baptism service, it spells doom for them physically. Much like it would have been for the disciples in Jesus' time, he's saying this isn't a flippant decision that's being made. He's saying count the cost. But you ask the question, hate my father, mother, brother, wife, sister? What are you talking Jesus is not telling you to actually, in our terms, in our context, hate your family members. That goes against all of the interpretation of the rest of Scripture. But what he's saying to this unconverted, largely unconverted crowd is that your love for Jesus needs to be in such a way, such a passion, such importance in your life that it makes your love for those you love more than anything look like hate. I'll say it another way. If our ultimate allegiance is to anything but Christ, if our ultimate allegiance is to anything but Christ, We have missed it. We have missed it. Number two, again, is the call to follow Jesus is a call to love him above all else. God designed us to love our family members more than we love anything. Amen? God designed us, uh, any other person, to love them with reckless abandon. Right? You hear terms like mama bear and you hear stories where moms and dads show up to take care of their kids. I can say with full confidence that I love you guys very much, but I don't love you as much as I love Ava. Right? Man, that would be weird if I did. And I'm going to love her all of my life like my mom and dad loved me and like my grandparents loved me. That's good and right. That's a part of God's design. Paul at one point called those that wouldn't take care of their family members worse than an unbeliever. Jesus in no way is calling you to hate someone actually, but he is saying asking us the question, probing us the question, if Jesus called you to go against the wishes of your family to follow him, would you do it? If Jesus called you to love him, even when your family is saying, don't love Jesus, don't get baptized, you were baptized as a baby, whatever, whatever the motivation is, Jesus is saying, do I have all of your heart? Do I have your ultimate allegiance? He's saying, count the cost, because following Jesus is not a hobby. Following Jesus is not a fan club. Following Jesus is everything. Here's the third point of the day. Loving Christ more than your family is the best thing that you can do for them. Loving Christ more than your family is the best thing that you can do for them. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 5, 15 and 16 and how that can impact your very home nor do people put a light, light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven i mentioned all of those stories later all of those are st- earlier all of those stories earlier about my family members i've got so many more come find me afterwards i'll tell you a few more I have so many testimonies because God's just been kind in my family. Our family is by no means perfect. By no means. Very far from it. But the grace of God surrounds us. The grace of God surrounds us, and we've just had the blessing of being willing to see men and women of God, though imperfect, be intentional about their faith with their kids and with their grandkids. Here's what I hope doesn't happen in your life. Here's what I hope doesn't happen in your home. In our ministry, We've heard many, many stories that really break our hearts. Our whole ministry is dedicated to training and equipping parents and grandparents to pass the Christian faith to the next generation in the home. We're all about home discipleship. We literally spend all of our time thinking about that one topic and how it impacts life and how it impacts FBC Tupelo and how people can routinely get a rhythm of genuine worship inside their very walls. That's what we think about, and yet we hear stories often like this. Frank, I'm pretty hesitant to do any kind of Bible devotional with my kids or with my spouse. I'm pretty hesitant to do any kind of devotional with my grandkids because, listen, when I was growing up, every time I got in trouble, uh, my grandmother would make me copy Genesis until she told me to stop. And that might be ringing a bell for some of you, I don't know. Or we've, and these are real stories, I'm not just making these up, we've heard a lot of the next one. Frank, you know, I'm pretty hesitant about all this because as my kids, or as I was growing up as a child, uh, my dad, every time I got in trouble, he'd make me recite my catechism questions until I got them right. There's so many examples like that. We could go on and on and on. So what that causes us to do, and nobody can blame this parent, what it causes them to do is to go, I'm just gonna hold off. <laughs> I, that was a really negative experience in my life as it would be for any of us. I'm gonna hold off. And I'm going to let my kids figure it out. What I told them in press conference just yesterday is what I'll remind us today is that nobody treats the discipleship of your children in a passive way. Nobody does. In the world, in the media, in education, nobody treats the education, the discipleship, the formation of your children in a passive way. Everyone else treats it in an intentional and targeted way. And God commanded us in passages like Deuteronomy 6, Psalm 78, Ephesians 5 through 6, and so many more that we actually have a job to be intentional. But before we have the devotional, before we start asking the good catechism questions, before we do the family activity, before we go on the family mission trip, do our children see us loving Jesus in the normal, mundane elements of our lives? (sighs) Do our kids see And do our grandkids see that if they make the ultimatum where it's hate, Dad, either you or Jesus, but we're not going to have both. Will you pick the Lord? I say that. I had a senior adult come up to me, um, and this has actually happened about three times in the last three years. Came up to me in a service much like this, and his grown children don't follow the Lord. In fact, They're very antagonistic to the Lord. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. And this granddad, he loves his grandkids, and he came up to me after the service just weeping. And I was like, oh, no, what did I say? (laughs) What did I say to him? It wasn't that. He was weeping because his son earlier that week had given him an ultimatum. And here was the ultimatum. He said, Dad, you can either talk about all of your crazy Jesus stuff or you can have a relationship with your grandkids but you can't have both. What do we do there? I mean, really, that's more difficult than I can express. God forbid that happening. You might be walking through something similar. I don't know. But in that moment to go, Lord, I'm going to choose you. I I can't be silent. Yes, be wise. Yes, be tactful. Yes, be loving. Yes, be a shepherd to your home no reason to bulldoze that situation and yet Lord how can I speak your truth because I will I can't stop because I love you and I love these children Lord will they see it in me will they see the joy in me will they see that light in me that's not hidden maybe you're in a situation like that I'm not sure but really there's no guilt here friends the invitation to be in a relationship with Jesus or if you're already a believer To have your affections renewed for the Savior that died for you. Man, it's a lovely invitation. What a wonderful invitation that you have. If you're lost to come to faith for the first time, if you don't know where you'll spend eternity, you can know that by God's grace and through His Word and the counsel of this church today. But if you're a believer, but you feel you've been distant from the Lord and you feel like anything else has your ultimate allegiance other than Christ man, he is ready for you. He doesn't wait for you with folded arms going, man, if so-and-so would just really get their act together, man, I'd just love them. But until they do, what a waste of time. You picture your pile of sin just sitting there and Jesus is looking at it going, man, messed up on this one. No, no, no. The love of Jesus is so wonderful. The invitation of Jesus is so wonderful that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. If you look at Philippians 2 and look at even just what's called the humiliation of Christ, where he would even come down here at all. Why? Because of his love for us. This is not an invitation to say, if you would just try harder, man, it would be better. If you would just have more quiet times, man, this would be... No, the question is, have you allowed or are you allowing Jesus to have your ultimate affection, your ultimate allegiance, where you really love Him. Number, number three, loving Christ more than your family is the best thing you can do for them. I want to say one more thing about that. Children make terrible gods. Children make terrible gods. What do I mean by that? I think you know what I I'm, what I'm where I'm going. Children make terrible gods. They, it's not fair to them For the weight of deity to be put on their shoulders. It's not fair to them to have the world revolve around them. It's too much pressure. It's too much pressure. It's not fair to them for your worship to be directed at them. I say that to myself as well. So I I was a youth pastor for about 10 years. And it would always really make me nervous when I would see a family moving in the direction where their entire life revolved around their kids. Their activities, their, their joys... Everything, their plans, anything and everything, all of it was directed at the child. And then what happened? The child went to college. And all of a sudden, these two parents are looking at each other going, who are you? (laughs) What are we doing? Children make terrible gods. They can't live up to it. Only our one true God can live up to the cloud, can live up to the high because he's the only one that exists. Gonna to move to our last point, number four. Those closest to you will see where your allegiances lie. One of my best friends, his name is Jason Richards. Um, he works for a camp that really was very involved in having a big impact on my life growing up. And he says something that you've probably heard before: We talk about what we love. We talk about what we love. We're invested in the things that we love. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. This is. Returning to the chapter we were in, but I love, like, the example that Moses gives to these people that he's just instructed. At every turn, every opportunity that God provides, be intentional about your faith with the next generation. Keep passing it along, the truth of who God is, what he's done, and what we're supposed to do with that information. But look in verse 20 of chapter 6. I love how direct it is. I love how practical Moses is right here. He says, when your son asks you in time to come... And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good uh, that always He might preserve us alive as we are to this day. And it will be righteousness for all of us if we are careful to do all the commandments before the Lord our God as He commanded us. This is a beautiful picture where Moses is assuming that the people will hear the instruction in Deuteronomy chapter 6 earlier that they will teach the goodness of God to the next generation, the commandments of God, the truth, of who God is and what He's done and what we're supposed to do with the information to the next generation. And then the kid does what? The kid says, why do we do this? What's the meaning of these commandments? He says, why every year, Dad, do we have the same Passover meal? Every year, the same Passover meal. And it's not even my favorite food to eat. It's got these bitter herbs here. We've got this. Why is it so the same? Why do we sing the same songs, have the same prayers every, every year? Why do we do this? So what this implies is, what? The son has been watching Mom and Dad live out the commands of God in front of them, which prompts a question. Why are we doing this? Have your kids ever asked you, why are we going to church? <laughs> have, you, have you ever had that question from a kid? It's a good question. It's like we could be sleeping. It's rainy. It's a good day in Tupelo. You know, why, why aren't we in bed? You know I mean? In Colorado right now, where, where my family is, there's about 10 to 12 inches of snow. And snow is pretty for about two seconds. And then then I'm done with it. Then it's just wet and bothersome. And there it is, right? It, it is pretty if you can be inside a warm place. But I saw a post from my pastor on, on social media last night where he said, guys, I don't, I don't care if there's two feet of snow. You, if you want to, if you're willing to do it, we'll be in church tomorrow morning to worship the Lord. Isn't that cool? I was like, yeah, that's my pastor. You know what I mean? Why do we go to church, Dad? Why do we go to church, Mom? Can't we just do something else? Can't we do this, do that? In Colorado, it's very difficult because you've got the mountains right there. And people uh, find themselves going, to, I mean, they'll find any excuse. It's, it's pretty known that somebody that views themselves as a faithful churchgoer in Colorado goes about once a month. It's just normal to them. And you say, no, you know, it's, it's really for your health and our health if we're all here every week. And they're like, what? <laughs> but I can worship God on the, on the mountain. I can be in a river. I can... And so it, it reveals our hearts. It reveals what we're doing. But have you ever been asked the question, Why do we do this? Have you ever been asked the question, Dad, Mom, when did you start believing in Jesus? Many kids won't ask that question. And yet, have you told them? The implication, though, here is from Moses that this family is living out their faith. Though imperfectly, that they are living out their faith, though to the best of their ability, covered in the grace of God, provided by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they are living out the faith that's been given to them. Here is the elephant in the room, friends. We're talking about the greatest good for our homes. And ultimately, what is it? It's the Sunday school answer. It is loving Christ above all else. Loving Christ above all else, which prompts us to action, to not be passive in the discipleship of the next generation, which begins in your home. It begins in the home of your grandkids. And you might be sitting here, and you might have been a member of this church. Your family might have been a member of this church when its first foundations were laid. And I'm not being facetious. I think that's pretty cool, by the way. But you may not be a believer. When you're hearing things like that from Jesus, if if you're not willing to renounce all of your worldly possessions, if you're not willing to hold me higher than those you love more than anything, have you counted the cost and have you given it all to Jesus? Has that ever happened in your life? If it hasn't, man, I can't express with enough joy that that can happen for you today. Just like I said in the Impressed Family Conference, friends, there is no shame, there is no fear, there is no punishment that comes from you in this church after for the first time you step up and you come down to the front and even after Fifty years of being a member of this church, or you're brand new here, or you're listening online, for the first time you say, you know what, I thought I was a believer. I wasn't, but I want to be. I hear that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I hear that he didn't stay dead. I heard he rose again, and I heard that if he hadn't done that, I would still be in my sins, guilty, worthy of death and hell, and yet he stepped in and made a way for me to be reconciled to the God that created me, the God that made me in his image, newsflash, Jesus loves you and invites you to Himself. The most wonderful invitation, and it really is an invitation. The call of Christ in Luke 14 might manifest itself this morning in a way that says, are you willing to be, quote-unquote, embarrassed to follow me? Are you willing to do that? Now's the time. You've been waiting. And this random guy from Texas, Denver, sort of, says something about it, and now's the time, Lord, and I would say, what is the Holy Spirit leading you to do? You will have an opportunity. Brother Matt will be right up here. I'll step down right here, and we will be here, not just if you need salvation, but maybe it's time for you, and whatever word you want to use, rededicate whatever word you want to use, to just say, listen, I've been far from the Lord, and I need Him. I I don't even need Him. I want Him. Maybe it's neither one of those things. You just think, Man, I need somebody to pray for me. I'm going through a lot. Whatever God's putting on your heart this morning, wherever you are, and if you're listening online, do this right where you're sitting. But don't be afraid to come forward to the invitation, responding to the invitation that you've received this morning to either give your life to Christ, renew that affection for Christ by His power, and here's the last one. To give your home to the Lord to give your home to the Lord. If your home's been about something else like mine has so many times, to give it all to Him. We'll be down here. The music will continue. Come if God is leading you.